Acts chapter 19, we pick up and we have a little bit of review because the last couple of last week we um, did something a little different. But we pick up in Acts 19 on Paul's mission, third missionary journey, which we verse 18. In fact, I'd like to back up to verse 16, if you will. It says here, And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. What we see here in Paul's missionary journey is he's making a decision that he wanted to leave immediately and he wanted to go into, basically go into the regions of Macedonia, back towards Corinth, and then eventually to get get to Rome. Well, we know that before he gets to Rome, he actually writes the book of Romans. And he writes to the dispersed Jews in Rome, the ones that, just like Priscilla and Aquila, that had been taken from their, actually their places and basically pushed out and threatened out of their homes because in Rome it was a real high intense place of anti-Christianity, and there's a lot of history that goes back proving and showing how the emperors and even the women hated Christianity, and it came out. We'll look at that probably in another class, but here, right now, Paul purposes to go to Macedonia, Asia, out of Asia, to Corinth and Rome, but the Holy Spirit says no. That's what happens, and what happens here is he now he Erastus, and he has some others that he sends out. They're on their way, but he stays here in Asia Minor. He's in Ephesus, and something massive happens. But we weren't quite through the sons of Sceva last time. We talked about what happened to this demoniac possession. So let's go back a little bit, look at what's been happening, and we'll see where the Lord leads us this morning. We saw before that there were diverse blasphemers, and they were coming after the way. Now, we're going to be seeing this term many times going through Corinthians, and we're going to see how the people of the way have been attacked. Who are the people of the way? Right. Why? Never forget John fourteen six. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so that was always the hinge point. That's the epicenter of that title for the Christian church is the way. Because Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul comes back and he makes it very clear in the book of Romans that Christ is the head of the church. 
We are the members. We are the body. We are the arms, the legs. We're the work. We're the ones that work for it. Work has never been a condemnation, by the way. If you go back into the garden before sin ever hit, Adam was already working. There was no sin involved in that, so it's not a bad thing ever to work. And we need to work. And we need to work hard. The Lord wants us to work hard. The Lord says that a man that's lazy won't even feed himself. But the workers in the church were working. That's what I love about this. Paul never slept hardly at all. He didn't get much sleep. He would pray throughout the night. He had visions from Christ, and he was always working, and he was always trying to encourage people to work. But there were diverse blasphemers coming after the way. Back a little earlier, Paul was protecting the way. These diverse blasphemers spoke evil of the people of the way. Who were the people of the way? As we will see in uh, upcoming verses... We actually see it here in verse 23, about the time where there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. What does that mean? We just read that. No small disturbance. Is that something that's isolated or is it broad, Lisey? Yeah. It covers from the foundation of the earth. People that follow Jesus Christ, there's always disturbances. People are always come out against people of Christ. You see the word God mentioned in our public and social media and our news, but you hardly ever hear the name of Jesus Christ mentioned. It's always God, because God can mean a lot of things. It could be a false God. It could be Muhammad. It could be a, and that's kind of like a generic way of saying that there's some kind of spiritual leader sitting way up high on a pole, and everybody's God is okay. But then when you say the Lord Jesus Christ and you're using His ineffable name... Now you have claimed that you are a Christian. Has anybody ever asked you that? I've been asked this several times. They, they don't come and say, do you have a God? They asked you, they, I've been asked, are you a born-again Christian? I've been asked that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> aren't you? That's what I like to say, aren't you? That's the only way to heaven. If you're not a born-again Christian, why should Christ ever invite you into his kingdom? This is what Paul is trying to teach these people. This disturbance is great. Go to Acts chapter 22, verse 4. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. Paul said, I myself persecuted the way. These people that love the Lord, I didn't love the Lord then. He said, and I think that's fascinating because as we go forward, for Paul to say something to that magnitude ahead, of, this is ahead of what we're learning now, he says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was a master in theology and law, and I persecuted the people of the way. Well, don't, wouldn't you think that the Pharisees would have some inclination about the people of the way and would follow Christ? No, this was a Jewish cult. They hated Christ. They didn't think he was the Messiah. As a reminder, he, they hated him. They did believe in a resurrection, but not through the blood of Jesus Christ. They thought it was through the prophets. But the Sadducees didn't even believe in a resurrection. And Paul said, here I was... Remember, if you ever wanted to pick a good neighbor, I remember Derek Thomas said this. He preached about the Pharisees. I was listening to it a few weeks ago. One of the best neighbors you could ever have would be a Pharisee because a Pharisee always was trying to keep, now it's now 613 renditions of the Torah. They wanted to keep everything perfect. They always wanted to look the best. They always wanted to be neighborly and do all these things. But there's one thing that they lacked. Christ said it himself. They lacked who is the way, the truth, and the life. So this is what we're going. We're watching the way here. Paul is now back in Ephesus. And we're going to learn 
something coming down the road here that was a very hard thing for Paul. Paul was forced to separate the disciples from this wicked attack. Here's a, here's a letter from John Calvin. He said, Luke added that they speak evil of the way before the people for the contenders of the gospel to resist that deadly among others which they would not embrace. And this do they to no other end save only because they be desirous, if it can be, to have all manner, all men partners in their impiety. It is well known that every ordinance is understood by this word way, but here it is referred unto the gospel of Christ. That, that quote ends with the word impiety, but what Calvin was saying is, whenever you have a different religion other than other people's, and you buck them on their religion because they, you know they're doing something that's wrong and you mention the name of Christ, you're going to have them rising up against you. And this is why we see that there is disturbances. And I think, in my opinion, when I'm studying, reading this, the Holy Spirit held Paul back as a protection for these people of the way. They needed him. This was getting really tough. And these sons of Sceva, as we were learning, here they are posturing that they could cast out demons. But the one thing that we didn't get to, what happened to the man? What happened to the man that actually was filled with demons? What did he do? This is very, very important. I can tell you what I didn't see happen to him, sadly, and that's of Christ's choosing. But what happened to him? Somebody go back and read verse 16 again. Let's talk about that a minute. Acts 19, 16. How many sons of Sceva was it? One man beat up seven people. That's what happened. It says here in verse 15, it says, if we go back to verse 15, no, go back a little further. No, 14. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. From what I could ascertain, I went back and I went to the history and looked up the word Sceva. There is no word. According to many theologians and many good commentators, this was a posturing word that this man came up with to pretend that he was one of the real priests. He was lying all the way down the line. These sons of Sceva acted like they had certain power, and even the demon himself said, I know Paul. He follows Jesus Christ. I know Christ, but you I don't know. And the man that was filled with demons turned around and literally brutally beat these men and they ran out of the house naked. <laughs> That's how powerful he was. Remember the sons that remember Gadara. Remember Mark chapter 5, I think it's worth uh, verses 1 through 8. The man at Gadara, Christ went, what was the guy doing? He was breaking chains on his own. Remember, he was cutting himself. He was extremely powerful. And this is what demons can do. And if you don't think that this, this, this actually exists out there. I've been exposed to some of this world because of, of what my brother went through and people that he knew years ago. And I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you, there's people out there, I'm telling you, they are strong. And you can't hurt them. And, and they're demonic. It, it's out there. And we see the power that this, this man had. It doesn't, what it doesn't say is that he ever got saved like the man in Gadara. It doesn't say that the Lord actually cast the demons out somewhere else and that the man actually got saved. We don't read about that, but we do see how powerful that he was. 
And we see that they leaped. He said the Spirit leaped on them and He overcame them. One against seven. That, that's, that, that's unlikely odds, isn't it? And prevailed against them. Well, we see how these awful actions, that we can see the disturbances that had happened here. And the spe- there were special miracles by the hands of Paul. We see that Paul, from his body, handkerchiefs before, we saw that he had the power to cast out demons. And we see that on this part of our studies, we could ask why there were not too many miracles that we saw beforehand, but there were several miracles. If you think about it, when Peter healed the impotent man at the gate beautiful, that Philip had healed and he had cast out demons out of another woman, Paul had cast out demons, and there were miracles, just not as many as we would think that they would be. So leading up to this, this is what we learned so far. But why were only these miracles unveiled in Ephesus? We just, we just saw another incredible event happen. Most people go on about their perspectives about Scripture, but they do, do they even read these? Do they even read the miracles that are there? And once again, as an encouragement, if, we're, if we have it in our hearts to think that there should be more miracles and more understanding, are we even reading the ones that are there? I think that's very important. We note that it's... It might not be quite apparent that there were many miracles when we saw Paul back in Corinth, but he made a statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And, and so as we go forward, Paul's teaching us to be patient and to read what the Lord has given us and to use that as our guideline. And I think that's very important. So we move forward from that. So we see that these preachers of the gospel of Christ were sent forth by the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on a war against Satan, and therefore Christ continues the battle. He's conquering, and he conquers. And we have seen Satan has been cast out. The demons have been cast out. We saw vagabond Jews. These were exorcists performing the works of Satan and saying, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's very important because... Where we left off, we were talking about the sons of Skeezer, we were talking about the exorcists, and we were talking about all the things that are out there. But you know, we see these things in our own society today. We see these exorcisms, we see these, the witchcraft, and all of the stuff that's out there. Does anybody have any examples, anything that you've seen out there that looks kind of like a little, little dangerous, especially when, from a perspective of a Christian? Lisey. Yes, yes. Yes. They were talking about it this morning. The boldness now more and more. They're not just quietly people working under this to push these wicked agendas. They're out there and it's in our face. And right. they're saying, You accept us or you're going to prison. Right. Basically, I 
so it's, it's the, the blatant, bold, bald pushing of these wicked things, and now it's in our faces. Yeah. You made a very important connection there. Lisa. Right. Um, what they do is they do, you know, elaborate ceremonies and everything. That's been out there for, for a number of years, which going back to beyond. It's called it's some society, something yeah. they belong to. Yeah, I can't remember either. George Bush was part of it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And, and Terry Hall and Eastman Shores is a lot of that down there. Mm. That a lot of people don't know about. So it's been prevalent for a number of years. And right. Remind me not to do that. <laughs> I don't want to go there. No, I'm telling you. It's a fascinating place down there. That's where the guy who invented the Ouija board is. He has a Ouija board right on his, uh, right, right on his marker there. But uh, these are connections. I mean, the main, the main uh, headquarters, the main uh, mother church of the occult and the Wiccans is in Florida. There's a massive uh, cathedral they have down there. For worshiping the worshiping the devil, but the but but the connection at least he was speaking about the um what was what was it called the Respect of Marriage Act. The Respect of Marriage Act. Right. It had a lovely name. Sure. Sure. That's a very large bill too. It's very involved. Well, the connection there is what's the big thing now. It's happening even, it's being presented in front of the children, even in schools. The transgender, well, what do you have to do to your body to become transgender? It has to be cut. Look what happened to the man Kaderi, he cut himself. He's demonic. That's a, that's, I think that's a real connection to demonism. Cutting your body, cutting it and having it transformed. What's worse is taking an innocent child and making them do it, and duping them into do it. We sit here in absolute horror, but it's now becoming mainstream. It's terrible, Lisey. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you, we think that our minds could actually process how bad it is. Beverly.
What's that? Oh. Litter boxes? Yeah, they identify themselves as animals, cats or dogs or whatever they want to be. And they want to go to the bathroom in a litter box like cats. I didn't hear that one. This used to be make-believe. Like, if real toddlers, if they had a dog, they, they would act like a dog and they, you know, they would go up to the book. I mean, it was make-believe. Right. You, know, you watch cartoons, you goofed around, you didn't become it. Wow. I know there's some kids that really should be on a leash, but that's, that's kind of taking it too far. But oh, that's rough. They're allowing it. But they go in there and they start quoting the Ten Commandments, then they get thrown out. Right? Unbelievable. That, I didn't even know it. That's unbelievable. Marianne. Oh. And that she would go by this boy's name. And the school would go along with it. And when the mother found out, she contacted the school and said, no, 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 my daughter is having some emotional problems, and, you know, we're not going, we're not doing oh. transgender stuff. Hmm. And so she had to take the child out of school, and she's got a lawsuit, I think, now against the school. Because the girl, she kept in counseling and everything, and she's fine. Hmm. She's a fine teenager. And so they tried to do everything they could to dissuade. See that? Look at those influences. Matt, Matt's had his hand up. Good, Matt. I'm sorry. Oh my. You know, you, you know, I bring this up a lot because it's part of my studies. I do a little bit of a lot of different things. One of the things is listening to messages. And yesterday there was a, a message that I heard, and this goes right to what Beverly's saying. R.C. Sproul gave a great message yesterday. And I listened to him, and I listened to a lot of the different speakers from Ligonier because they all connect very well, especially with world, world issues now. I know Mr. Berta's husband, uh, Pastor Mike Britton, he, he was incredible with all that stuff. He had, and it was great to listen because you could always learn something new. There's always some like, like this morning, we're always learning something new. And he said, why wouldn't children think this way? Why wouldn't they? They're taught they come from nothing. They're taught they exist by nothing. Now, the big movement on eternal life, and this past Wednesday evening, we read several quotes from secularists and humanists about what eternal life really is. They are now being taught they are annihilated. They're taught annihilation. That is the going the last 15 years has been a real big thing is annihilation. So if you, you come from nothing, you exist by nothing, you become... 
What are you worth? Where is your worth? The worth that Christ gives us is a confidence that's greater than anything anybody can have. The brilliance that you have as a Christian, you know what eternal life is. You're brilliant because Christ gave you that brilliance. But why wouldn't they become like dogs? Why wouldn't they do this when they think there's nothing left anyway? There's nothing to look forward to when in the public schools they're being taught they come from nothing but some kind of millions of different ways of evolution. That there really is no moral compass. Basically, when you have Hitchens and Dawkins, they're basically teaching the only reason we have morals is that we are providing a future for other people. But when we leave, there's nothing left. That's a horrible way to live. No hope. Lisa. Sadly, today, apes have better sense than most people. That's the sad part about it. And then I'm going to this thing here. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to read this, and this all comes together perfectly with what we're talking about. Exorcism comes into the church. Basically, Paul's there to stop it. All this demonism is going on, and he's trying to bring the gospel, but it says all throughout the book of Acts, and in this chapter, Christ's word was magnified. It rose above the top. But look what happens here, going along with what we're talking about. In this country, I try to make this... I try to link what's going on here with what's now, because this is not archaic nonsense. This perfectly plugs into what we're going through right now in this country. What these people were going through, although they didn't have the social media and maybe some of the contemporary advances we have, they had the same problems we have. There's no different. This is a real major problem in most evangelical churches today and other churches. They use Christ to bring people in, and it's far from them. The United Methodist Church has just brought into Salt Lake City two gay men to run their churches, and they have changed their legislation to allow and empower, it says it in their bylaws of sodomites in their council. We've seen this in Episcopalian ranks, Lutheran ranks, and also in the Presbyterian Church of USA. They're using the name of Christ to spread their demonic toxins and make no bounds about it. This is all about money. It has nothing to do with the salvation of souls. They stroll about to tell people about their fortunes. They pretend by spells and charms to cure diseases and bring people to themselves. They prey on the weak, the melancholy, the distracted, the ill, the depressed, looking for answers, and they bring them in. And I heard something several weeks ago that was so sad I couldn't even believe it. Somebody that I've been praying for has a 13-year-old niece who they're trying to get, and I've been praying that this would never happen, trying to get them into a mental facility up in northern Pennsylvania. You won't even believe this. They went to mental facilities all throughout northern Pennsylvania, and every single one of them are filled. They can't get in. Now they have to send this poor, this poor girl probably somewhere else, out of state. That's how big this is. They're filled. 13-year-olds being taken in and drugged. They're, that's what they do to them. The first thing they do is they evaluate them. They get no Bible, of course. Nothing about the Lord. Nothing to encourage them what they need. They get needles. And they get pills. And this is what's happening to our precious 13-year-olds. Look at every... Look at what has been published in our nation that, sings, that, that seemingly sings, sinks to a bottomless low every day. 
A federal judge in Madison had rule, has ruled the National Day of Prayer is unconstitutional. U.S. Dis- District Judge Barbara Crabb reached the conclusion in a lawsuit the Freedom From Religion Foundation, a Madison-based group of atheists and agnostics, brought against former President George W. Bush's administration near the end of the second term, and now this is going through. He fought it. I mean, a lot of these states fought it, and now it's on its way to going through. The foundation argued the day violates the separation of church and state. Congress established the day in 1952 and in 1988 set the first Thursday in May as the day for presidents to issue proclamations asking Americans to pray. In a different editorial, government involvement in prayer is is constitutional only as long as it does not call for religious action. That's what she says, this judge. Which the prayer day does, U.S. District Judge Barbara Crabb wrote in her ruling, it goes beyond mere acknowledgement of religion because its sole purpose is to encourage all citizens to engage in prayer, an inherently religious exercise that serves no secular function in this context. That's what's going in our courts now. No secular function does prayer have in our, in our schools or in our churches or anything, or I mean National Prayer Day. Well, they want to get rid of National Prayer Day, but look what we do have. This is going to help. We have National Taco Day. We have Doctor's Day, Preakness Day, Decoration Day, National Cleanup Day, National Land Preservation Day, Black Friday, and they want to eradicate National Prayer Day because it violates separation of church and state. Black Friday. We honor that one. These Jewish exorcists were no different. They weren't doing anything different. Well, so what happened to the man that had demons in him? He beat everybody else up. Anybody else? I'm sorry. I don't mean to go forward unless somebody has something to say. Um, As we go forward, we see that after this happened, it says that, and this was known to all the Jews, the Jews, all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them, all of them, and they counted the price of them, and they found it fifty thousand pieces of silver. Look what they did. I mean, I would like to talk about this just for a minute. After all this had happened, Christ's name was magnified, people were saved, and look at the action that they took. They basically made a sacrifice to the Lord, in a sense, and they took these demonic books that were filled with exorcisms. In fact, I was reading a little bit about these books. These books had pictures, these books had playwrights, they had theatrical uh, presentations of exorcisms, and they were, they were what would happen. You... By seeing 50,000 pieces of silver, it teaches you something. A lot of people were involved in it because it was a lot of different people that brought the books to have them burned. And when they had them burned, they were making a statement. We're repenting of our sins and we're not going back to that. They didn't just take the books and put them on the shelf and just say, all right, we're right for now. We're not going to have anything to do with that. You know, so it's sitting there. Maybe they could come back to it. No, they took it out and they burned it. Now, if you take present-day silver, um, the, the amount and what silver was worth, back in that day, it would have been worth, the, at our present number now, close to about $330,000 plus. That's how much this was worth. And they were willing to burn these books to get rid of these exorcisms. That's what needs to be done in this country. This stuff needs to be burned. It needs to be taken away. It's that, that's how serious it is. 
We see that the we, we see that after this, the manifestation of their desire to confess their sins that were of demonic demoniac persuasion was what is was in that books had what had conversed to them. They wanted them gone, and they burned them, and they took. They, they, they were romances, included plays, love books, immodest poems, all kinds of the occult, and they took them and they burned them and they got rid of them. We see here that Matthew Henry says, It was there for much for the honor of Christ and His gospel to have such a noble testimony born against those curious arts in a place where they were so much in vogue. Thus they showed a holy indignation at the sense that they have truly been guilty of, they knew they were of the daughter's favor, brought to repentance, which is so wonderful. He said that they wanted to repent, that they wanted this indignation gone. They wanted to have joy in their hearts, and they didn't want to follow this anymore. And they got rid of it. 50,000 pieces of silver would have been the equivalent of 50,000 at the time, days' wages for a common labor. So if you, you break that up, there were a lot of people that were doing this. What this does is pronounce and shed light on how many were involved in this and how much money it took to buy these books. These books would have been the present-day social media. They were everything to these owners. And we could see how many of them were. It was a lot of money. So when this, all this happens, we go to verse 18, and many, believed that, and many that believed had confessed and, they, and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. They counted the price of them and found that 50,000 pieces of silver so mightily grew the word of God and it prevailed. So after these things, as we move forward, were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent in the Macedonia of two of them that ministered to them, Timotheus, and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. See, the Holy Spirit did not want Paul to move forward. There was a big event that's about to happen. And what happens is this Demetrius, he's a silversmith. He was the one presenting the problem that Paul had proposed when they were getting rid of the exorcisms, they were getting rid of the books, they were getting ready to go after the statues of Diana. And if you remember what we talked about several weeks ago, that, that, that temple in Asia Minor, in Ephesus, of Diana, is a seven, one of the seven wonders of the world. That's how massive this thing is. And if you go on to read, we see here that there was a furious outcry against this Diana. Well, we see here in verse 24, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. It made them very wealthy whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone on Ephesus, but all, almost, through, almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded men and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. And I want you to read this verse. Look at the end of verse 27. We'll talk about this for a minute and then we'll be done. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should she be destroyed. Look at this. Whom all Asia and the world worshipped. You're not even going to believe what I'm about to say next. 
We have a Diana that the world worships, don't we? you have any idea what some of the artifacts of Diana Lady Spencer has gone for in auction since she died in 1997? People still worship Diana, Princess of Wales. Her clothes, anything that is attached to her can be sold. People worship her. They think that she's part of deity. That's what happens with the queen when she became the sovereign. These princesses, princes and all, they take on a whole nother role thinking that they're way above people. They had their Diana. America's had its Diana. You know, people love her. They worshipped her. And look what happened. This Diana did not exist. The one that was back in Ephesus, this one does exist. And we can see representations and, and, and basically recapitulations of in the Bible of idol worship. You know, Calvin comes out and he says that we're all idol factories in our heart. We are all idol factories, and we need to be very careful with that, with mainstream. Because what happens here is now it's being stepped up a notch. Now this Demetrius is the silversmith, and he's saying, I'm the one that works in the shops every day. We're the ones producing all of these little idols. They all these, you know, you go, to, you go to any one of these parks, and you see your favorite character has all these little stuffed animals and all these little trinkets and necklaces, and they make millions and millions of dollars off all this stuff. This is what was happening. They had all these little statues, and they were, you worshipped them. When you bought them, you worshipped them. And as the people were worshipped, thinking they were being blessed, they made more of them. And they were making tons and tons of them. And Paul, he's standing there saying, it's a complete hoax. This is a bunch of lies. You're worshipping falsely. You're disobeying God. What you're doing is totally anti-moral. It's totally wrong. And so what do they do? They come up against him, and they want to take him, and they want to kill him, basically. They want to stop him. And that's, the, and that's what's going on here. And they said, This Diana is not only worshipped in Asia, but throughout all the world. And when they had heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And I'm going to leave here because what happens here in the theater... It did something to Paul. And we're going to talk about the theater next week. But it did something to Paul. And there are verses that showed that actually he had sunk into a very deep depression. It was very hard for him. And, and, and when I started reading and I went back to some of the commentaries and read some verses and all, it shows that he centers on this particular event and it really did something to him. And this was right before he was getting ready to write the Romans. We just saw back there that he purposed in his heart that he wanted to write the Romans. He wanted to go to Rome. Rome, for him to want to go to Rome, anybody else that had no idea what was going on would think he was crazy. You'd have to be crazy to want to go to Rome right now in his position and what, what, what had traveled around him. But here he is writing the Romans. He's getting ready to go there. And he said, one of the quotes... From Matthew Henry, he comes back and he said, Paul saw that the glory of Jesus Christ were the dispersed Jews in Rome, and he couldn't stay back. He really wanted to reach them. And that's incredible. So anyway, we'll get, we'll get into that next week. Let's finish with prayer. Let's ask, uh, maybe Matthew, could you close us this morning? Thank you.